Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for tuning in and hope you're having a great day, whatever time of day you're listening to this podcast. Um, So much to get to today. I've got a brand new guest on a book called Questioning God. Uh, John Hopper, we'll uh, introduce him in a minute. I just want to open up in prayer and um, just go to God. Lord, um, thank you, God, for giving us another day and thank you for your faithfulness. And as always, Lord, we do our best to trust in your sovereignty and in your will, and we pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, The Bible says uh, you are our refuge and strength, and you are a very present help, and you are a God of peace, and Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And so we pray for what's going on between Russia and Ukraine right now, especially the people that are innocent victims and who find themselves in the midst of a conflict that many were not expecting. Lord, we pray that you'd protect them. We ask that you'd draw near to them, and uh, we lift up the people of Ukraine, especially the church there, the Christian church, your people, Lord. May the gospel still go out with for those who are remaining there and, and um, have made that decision to stay and do the work of ministry. God, protect the innocent families, children, and uh, please give courage to those who are fighting to defend their faith, their freedom, and their homeland. We lift up pastors and missionaries and Christian workers throughout Ukraine, and we pray for wisdom for each of them over there. And we just know, God, that you are sovereign and in control of all things, and you warned us about wars and rumors of, rumors of wars and a lot of end times events that are taking place right now. Lord, help us be good Bereans and know what the Scriptures say about the last days and about uh, wars and what's happening around us, God. And we pray that you just remind us of the hope that we have, and we know that you will ultimately be glorified. We trust you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, an email real quick. Um, This came from Dennis and Eileen Nogue. Thank you, guys, for getting a hold of us. Now, for those of you that didn't hear last Friday's podcast, with a registered nurse and someone who used to be in the pharmaceutical industry. Now they are restaurant owners separately. One of them, an Italian place, Scambati's in De Pere. Another place, Taza Italian Coffee, also in De Pere, Wisconsin. And um, uh, Jenny in at the coffee place got a threatening letter from the Wisconsin state government because of an accusation. Someone complained about her spreading misinformation. So, and then Melissa... Um, was sharing some details about it losing some employees because of deaths in their family uh, due to having taken vaccines or booster shots. So very important and sobering conversation we had last Friday. And here's the email from uh, Dennis and Eileen. Thank you for your podcast. For every person... Oh, let me, let me back up just a minute. So we got a voicemail at the end of the podcast Friday, saying, I'm no longer going to listen. You are What you're doing is dangerous, and you're spreading misinformation, and uh, thank you, goodbye, basically. So here's the email now. Thank you for your podcast. For every person who publicly states they won't listen anymore because they think you are spreading misinformation, I'm sure you have many more who are seeking the truth. We are Canadians serving in Guatemala as missionaries and listen regularly to your podcast. Thank you for being a beacon of truth. I have shared your website with many. Blessings. So thank you, Dennis and Eileen in Guatemala, and uh, shout out to our Canadian friends. We've got an article coming up in segment three today that'll, if you haven't heard about what's going on and new laws that are being passed in Canada, I hope you're sitting down for that. That's segment three today. So um, I want to bring in today's guest. Can't wait to talk about some of these uh, the chapters and some of the questions in his book. John Hopper serves in, as an area director for Search Ministries in Houston, Texas, where he facilitates gatherings and conversations aimed at helping others think more deeply about God and life. Prior to joining Search, he worked in the private sector, first as a tennis pro, 
and later in real estate. And after transitioning into full-time ministry, John has served for 16 years as a pastor at Bridgepoint Bible Church in Houston. And uh, he attended Biola University, among others, and he enjoys uh, exercising and, of course, sharing his faith and uh, answering questions about God. John Hopper, welcome to Stand Up For The Truth. Well, good morning, David. It's great to be with you today. Hey, good morning. I was going through the book, and there's it's a thick book, so much to tackle. But first of all, uh, you had me at uh, some of the endorsements. I just want to share with our listeners, Lee Strobel endorsed your book. Uh, J.P. Moreland endorsed it. Uh, Mark Yarborough, uh, President Dallas Theological Seminary. Um, so you're in good circles there. You have uh, good people getting behind this, and we're thankful to have you on. One of the things we want to get to, John, is something that's really either confusing to people or they've just believed something that just wasn't true through the ages, and that is about the Crusades and how they're always trying to criticize the overall Christian church. We do want to get to that, but I want to start with chapter 1 because this is so important. Uh, Life is good, so why be concerned with God? Uh, John, here in America, we take a lot for granted, including our religious freedoms, and we are spoiled, sometimes too comfortable, and even in the church. But for unbelievers, they, if they don't have any major health struggles or trials in their life, life is good. So this is a really good chapter. I, I uh, commend you for opening up your book, Questioning God, with this chapter, Life is Good, So Why Be Concerned with God? So share what your thought process when it came to opening up the book with this particular chapter. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, David. I'm not so sure that this chapter would have been an opening chapter, I don't know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, a couple hundred years ago. Mm. Um, I, most people, you know, they, they they did have some interest or concern in God, maybe, uh, you know, at some level. But I think more and more people today, they're just like, I'm good. <laughs> so you, you can have a little religion if you need it, but sort of keep it to yourself because I'm doing, I'm doing just fine. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, for us to even sort of kind of get them interested in even looking at God, sometimes we have to help them to see that there's even value in that search, in that pursuit. And that's why I opened the book uh, with with that question. So, John, um, I'm, I have another question to follow up on in that chapter. But, you know, there are a lot of apologetics books out there. There are a lot of great websites. Got Questions is one of them. Um, a lot of great places people can get answers or apologetics. Um, how is your book different, or what made you decide to write this and address the things that you did in Questioning God? Well, you know, Search as a ministry, the ministry that I'm a part of, is is really sort of about gathering people um, who maybe never really had a place where they could ask the questions that maybe have been there for a long time. And so... Uh, we wanted to write a book that was really addressed to to people who honestly have these questions. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of apologetics books are written to Christians. Hey, Christian, here's how you would answer a non-believer's question. And we're, we're really, the so way I wrote the book is to write it in a way that was as if you really had the question yourself, um, whether you're an unbeliever or a believer. And so Rather than say, here, here's a tool how you can answer someone else's question. No, I, I'm, I'm addressing a person as if they're really asking these questions. And so I, in doing that, my efforts to be uh, very gentle and, uh, um, and to simply to sort of lay the facts out on the table and let people decide for them, themselves. So there's no air in the book that says, here, here's the proof. You're stupid if you don't believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's more of sort of a tone that says, Here's some things I think you, you ought to consider as you're, you're wrestling with this question. So, John, back to chapter one, life is good, so why be concerned with God? Um, I like this little section here. I want to just quote you and then let you elaborate if you would like. Um, on the loss of identity, it says this, you write, I am not so sure, and I agree with you, by the way, I am not so sure obituaries do anyone great justice. There's the bit about where the one was born and died, and something is usually noted about the deceased's alma mater and work accomplishments or community activities. 
And then there's the long list of survivors with perhaps a nice note about how much so-and-so was loved. I can't remember the last time I read an obituary of a person I knew and felt it really captured the essence of the person who died. When we think of people we barely know or know only through their celebrity, we often associate them with the things they have accomplished. The song they sang, a house they built, an office they held. But once you start to get to know someone, the scorecard shifts. Um, explain a little bit more about that, because I, I love it. I can't remember ever being at a funeral or memorial service where anything negative was said about the person or anything like, <laughs> like, hey, they were a real person. They made mistakes and they weren't perfect. You don't you just don't hear that. So uh, share a little bit more about this. Yeah, well, I mean, that's true, right? So, and, and once we do know sort of that deeper side of a person, then in, in many ways, all those accomplishments or, um, you know, uh, sort of markers in life that are often mentioned, um, they don't really matter all that much. I mean, if a guy built a big uh, company, but, you know, you knew him as a jerk, like, like that's all you're thinking about at that point in time, right? <laughs> I mean, that's all. It's all that really really matters in, in the end. So mm-hmm. now the reason sort of I bring that up in the book in terms of sort of what our identity is and sort of what our true identity is, is that um, many of the things that sort of make up our identity, so the choices we make, um, the causes we stand for, the purposes we have in life, um, if there isn't a God, then all of those things become really thin, really. So, and what I mean by that is this, is if you and I are just uh, sort of random accidents of the cosmos, just kind of what got spit out, Mm. um, can we really say that our purposes in life really amount to anything? So, let's say, for example, that you had a box of Scrabble pieces, and those Scrabble pieces got uh, sort of knocked onto the ground, um, and, and a friend came up to you and said, you know, what's the purpose or what's the meaning of those pieces on the ground? And you go, there's no meaning or purpose to them. It's just what's spilled out of the box. <laughs> and, and if you and I are just what's spilled out of the box, then there really is no purpose or meaning to our life. So, um, and, and again, we go back to the issue of identity. It's like if we consider our identity sort of tied up with sort of our purposes, but we're just random sort of mutations of the universe, then then our purposes don't really amount to anything. Mm. So, so who really are we? You know. So, and uh, and again, if the sort of the causes that we stand for, um, if they don't really mean anything as well, if we're just sort of creatures dancing to our own DNA, mm. um, and there is no real right or wrong, we're just uh, being stimulated by sort of our environment. Then, the cause that we stood for that we think is such a big part of who we are as a person, well, it really uh, is sort of devoid of any real depth to it. So um, so I think God's really much more important than people think that he is, because with, without God, it's really hard to sustain meaning or purpose or exactly. value. Exactly. What are the four things, uh, origin, meaning, uh, purpose, and destiny, something like that. Um, John, the next question will be about science because you got a great chapter, chapter four on that. But I want to let people know where they can get the book. I know it's on Amazon. It came out last year. Um, yeah. I only got it recently, I think in the last couple months. So I'm thankful mm-hmm. um, that the book is out there. But uh, other than Amazon, uh, do you have a website? Where can people get a hold of the book or learn more about your ministry? Yeah. Well, the, yeah, the book just came out sort of in later November in terms of being on Amazon. So, uh, but you can find out more about the book at questioninggod.com. And, uh, and, and one of the things that's nice about going to questioninggod.com is that um, I, I've actually uh, recorded a podcast for each chapter in the book as well. Oh, so cool. It's just 15 or 20 minutes. I'm being interviewed about the question in the chapter. So uh, for those who just, uh, just can't read it all or they sort of want to hear sort of my voice kind of going along with the chapter, so um, you can— uh, to see those podcasts at questioninggod.com. That's awesome. A lot of people like to listen to audio rather than read. Uh, some like to do both, but I want to jump into chapter four here, John Hopper. How can a person believe in God in this scientific age? That's the name of the chapter. A lot of people don't believe in God because of science, and, and a lot of people think science conflicts with the Bible. Can you clarify some of these uh, issues, and what's your advice when dealing with a situation like this? Yeah. 
Well, you know, somebody asks a question, that question of how can a person believe in God in the scientific age, um, they're, they're presupposing that there's some sort of irreconcilable difference between uh, believing in God and, you know, trusting in science in some way. So, and so I would like to sort of explore that a little bit with a person, like where are they seeing the conflict? Because not everybody sees the conflict the same, in the same place. And, and often sort of when I ask that question of people, they're a little unsure. They've just sort of bought into the sort of the mantra of the day. Like mm. uh, they can't really necessarily even always point to some place where they feel like there's a, a great conflict. But one of the things that I like to uh, sort of mention when this sort of conversation comes up with people is that scientists themselves aren't necessarily seeing a conflict, a fundamental conflict hmm. between belief in God and, and science. Now, it is true that scientists are much less likely to be religious or to even believe in God than the general public. But when they're asked the question of, is, do you see there's a fundamental conflict between science and religion? Only 15% say yes. Huh. And this is of elite uh, scientists at elite universities around the world. There's been extensive research on that. So, so scientists themselves aren't seeing this fundamental conflict. So I'm wondering why sort of the normal, you know, Joe on the street is feeling that. So, um, hmm. so I like to mention that because I, I think sometimes people say that because they want to be on the side of science, but scientists themselves aren't seeing that there's a, there's a conflict there and a, right. an, a sort of unreconcilable conflict. Yeah, what we like to say here often is science doesn't speak, scientists do. And so mm. science just doesn't shout out truth. We have mm. to actually do some research and gather mm. facts. And mm-hmm. um, you're right. It's it's always been a little confusing to me knowing the history of people like Isaac Newton and mm. others who were after God. They wrote, he, in fact, he, from what I understand, he wrote more about God in, in the Bible than he did about science and his work. But uh, today's scientists, as you mentioned, tend to uh, shy away from religion. Many are atheists and uh, unbelievers. So it's really almost perplexing. But, John, we've got to move on. We've got three minutes left okay. in, in this segment. And I um, want to get to this question here. You know, a lot of people question their faith uh, because they believe God let them down, whether, mm-hmm. they're, whether they're going through a hard time. And I know this has to do with our own expectations of God, but maybe they were struggling and, but they feel like God let them down. There's even a worship song that says, you'll never let me down. And I'm going, mm. whoa, we got to check mm. the theology on that. So your thoughts mm. on this? Mm. Mm. So you really kind of behind that seems to be sort of the question of, you know, where's this loving, all-powerful God in the midst of my circumstances, right? Mm, so, yeah. Um, I think that's what people are driving at. And uh, uh, and that. And I, I always like to sort of go into their personal story a little bit, right? So I think sometimes when people ask that question, they're actually not asking for an answer, like why would God allow this to happen in mm. my life? They're, they're really asking whether or not you or I care about the things that they're going through. And, and I don't know how many times I've sort of, sort of been asked this question, and I'll say, you know, are you asking this question because there's some hard things that are going on in your life or have gone on? And almost every time people say yes, and they begin to tell me their story. And often we never get back to the question of like, why would God allow this? And not that I can't go there, we certainly can, but mm-hmm. but many people, they're not asking for some intellectual answer to the question. Right. They're asking for someone to listen to their story. And I just think that's really important as Christians that we don't sort of jump to some sort of answer. Well, the reason God's doing this is because of X, Y, or Z. But rather, we first listen to people's own story of pain and suffering. I like how you said uh, they don't need an intellectual answer. I remember years ago, uh, someone said that, you know, we ask why, I think a little too often uh, when it comes to God and why he allows his sovereignty, right? And they said, they said, because even if God were to explain it to us, it wouldn't take away the pain in our lives or heartache. We would still feel that, like a, the loss mm-hmm. of a loved one or a mm-hmm. sickness, uh, for example. The, the, even if God were to explain it, like, here's mm-hmm. why I orchestrated all these events, mm-hmm. you know, right. it would not take away the pain. And so even intellectually, they could know, mm-hmm. okay, that's how God works at times. Now I understand that, but why does my heart still hurt? Anyway, we are with author John Hopper today. The book is called Questioning God, 
answers to questions worth asking. And we're uh, skipping around in the book a little bit. You can get more info on John at questioninggod.com. Some more provocative questions, and we'll get some answers on the other side of this break on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Today we're with author and pastor John Hopper. The book is called Questioning God, and he is with Search Ministries. The website is questioninggod.com, and I encourage you, we will link his podcast as he addresses each chapter. We'll link that in the blog today at StandUpForTheTruth.com. So, John, the one thing I wanted to get to here, I love this chapter in the book, and it's cha- I believe it's chapter 6. Ha- and this is people say this, and they just have believed what they've heard. Haven't Christians caused more harm than good? Mm-hmm. So before we get to the Crusades and the Spanish Inquisition and things like that, um, please share with us, just open up that chapter and share what caused you, because I don't hear a lot of apologists talk about this particular question, what caused you to write uh, this chapter? Well, I think there's a lot of people that kind of keep Christianity at arm's length or religion in general at arm's length because they, they see uh, things that Christians do, either on sort of a micro level, that is, they, they have a neighbor who calls himself or herself a Christian that, you know, seems to be doing things that aren't so great, right? Mm-hmm. So they so they dismiss Christianity because of that sort of uh, that situation. And then I think there are people who sort of look at sort of the world stage and sort of look back on history and they say, hey, look at these events that were done by Christians, even in the name of Christianity. And so I don't want to be associated with that. And And, you know, that response in some ways is, it's um, it's understandable, right? I mean, if we know of a person that uh, um, uh, you know owns a business, and even though maybe the product in some ways is good, if we find out some things about them that are sort of uh, un- uncomely in some ways, or deal, like we don't, we we kind of don't want to uh, buy from that business or deal. So so mm-hmm. I I kind of get the feeling, yeah. But I think there's I think there's some reasons why maybe we shouldn't make that the determinant as to why we should follow Christianity or not. Exactly. And I mean, a reasonable person that's open to the truth and open to actual history. Let's just talk about America's history and what America has done. I mean, just briefly talk about charities and and helping the world, the hungry, the poor, and uh, the less fortunate, I mean, sharing the gospel, spreading the gospel with missionaries. But look at our own country and what the church has done, what Christianity has done. And you can go on and on and on. The Salvation Army, Samaritan's Purse, the Red Cross, all these things. I mean, these are Christian-based organizations, and um, it goes back to biblical principles that caused charities and nonprofits to flourish, helping people in need. And and it's just... It's, it's just disappointing when people just believe the lies and say, no, Christ- Christians have well, done, I, done more think, damage than good. Yeah, and I think, too, David, one of the things that people don't recognize is that some of those things that you just mentioned there, the sort of charitable uh, kinds of activities or you know, welfare for people's health and, and well-being, those, that, those sort of concepts or ideas didn't really exist <laughs> Um, and any right. sort of societal way until Christianity began hmm. to grow. So, you know, sort of in a normal sort of Greek-Roman perspective, it's like uh, fate is what fate is, and, you know, the poor are the poor, and they ought to be there, and you shouldn't really help them, and charity was looked down upon, and, uh, you know, health care <laughs> was not something that was pursued, and there weren't hospitals, and there weren't schools. And yes. It yeah. was not until Christianity came about and sort of set sort of the uh, a proper worldview mm-hmm. that that those things began to to sort of come and you know and sort of grow. So even if you're not a Christian today and you're being charitable, that 
that sort of draw towards charity is actually rooted back in sort of the Christian Christian movement. And I don't think people realize that. Exactly. And thank you for reminding us. Uh, education and health care and the arts, and you can go on and on and on. All and music. Some of the like like you know, some some classical music artists, some composers were Christians and, and believed in the Christian worldview. But, John, um, we've got to move on in your bio. It says that you've discussed questions about God and life with Muslim clerics, uh, Buddhist monks, uh, slum dwellers in Guatemala, tennis professionals at Wimbledon. This next question, it mentions Muslims uh, about the Crusades, It's and this is in your chapter. Uh, it's yeah. often been suggested that the Crusades were a violent Christian land grab that forced the conversion on peaceful Muslims. Oh my goodness, I just read that. There's so much in there, and we only have a limited amount of time, so please elaborate on that point. Yeah, well, you know, bringing up the Crusades, the the point is not to say that, you know, the Crusades were all this sort of sweet and godly kind of activity. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's there's certainly things there to to criticize, but but I think it's important to recognize the sort of the context of the Crusades. So, Islam had just sort of been sort of going westward and 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 really um, taking over countries and people one right after the other, and was on the doorstep of of Europe when, when the Crusades uh, uh, be, began. And so it was much more of a defensive uh, movement than it was a sort of, sort of uh, you know aggressive land grab. And then there there really isn't evidence that there was these uh, people were you know, had a th- sword at their neck saying, you know, convert or right. else. So right. uh, we, we look in the history of the Crusades and we see that, um, uh, you know, people were given choice in that, in that case and not a choice with an, uh, a sword at, at, at their neck. There wasn't that sort of activity. Um, That's right. So I think it's important to sort of rec- recognize that, that it was not a sort of a violent land grab. It was a, a defensive, almost really counterattack to really sort of a, sort of vicious movement of sort of Islam for, for centuries. And then you do highlight in the chapter the fact the numbers of, of Marxism and the deaths that mm. that ideology has caused, being one of the the bloodiest uh, worldviews. And uh, anyway, uh, John, I, I do want to stretch this out just a little bit further because I, I want to talk about one of the questions about new believers um, and getting giving advice to them. But there is a question I wanted to get to. And that would be this, will God judge people who have never had a chance to hear about Jesus? A lot of people wonder about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if we if we say no to that, it kind of puts us in an odd position, doesn't it? Because <laughs> if, it, if, if, if we say no, hey, if you haven't heard, you're, you know, you're going to be okay, then that would actually put us in a position of not wanting to tell anybody about Jesus, because then they would be off the hook, right? Like we wouldn't tell our own kids about Jesus because then they would be off the hook. So mm-hmm. that, that would be a sort of an odd position. In fact, it would go against the teaching of Jesus because Jesus himself said, hey, go and tell others. So, um, so this idea that, hey, well, you're good if you have never heard of Jesus doesn't work. And yet the, sort of the opposite of that, well, if you haven't heard, you know, just bad luck. That doesn't seem in line with the character of God. And so I think really sort of a better answer is to say that um, that maybe people have heard enough. They haven't heard the same amount, but maybe they have heard enough. Maybe they haven't heard the name of Jesus, but maybe they've heard enough to be able to seek the name of Jesus. So I th- And I think God has put things in creation and sort of in our moral conscience to let us know that, hey, there is a creator out there, and I'm not meeting up to his standard. Maybe I need mercy. Mm. And if we come to that place, I think God is good enough, and there are countless stories of God being good enough to get the name of Jesus to us. <laughs> so um, wherever we are, whether we're you know in a, a Muslim culture or we're deep in the jungles, we've, we've seen story after story of God getting the message of, of Christ to people as they begin to lean into him. That's right. Underlying that question, I think it's a, it's a question about God's sovereignty, is it not? Mm. Yeah, I think so. And I, and I think also his, his, his sovereignty and his sort of willingness to, to get his, his word out. Sometimes we make God way too small. Mm. So, oh, well, how could God get his message to those people? <laughs> and, uh, and God isn't small. He, he, can get his, he can get his message 
to where he needs to get it. Amen. Amen. Um, John, let's t- talk about how in the early days, at least in my faith, when I was believing and starting to read the Bible, um, I was never told why I should believe <laughs> the Bible. Uh, the question, or the answer was often, because it's God's Word, or because I said so, or yeah. be- because right, it's right. true. And I would ask, why, though? How can I believe? Yeah. So, final question. Um, you know, the church is a mess today. With all, There's mm-hmm. false teachings, there's attacks mm-hmm. from without and within, and there's it's just all kinds of different philosophies that are impacting the church today. And new believers are, are coming into the faith, and boy, they've got to be discipled. But um, what advice do you have for someone who's a young Christian or a new Christian? And I'll just let you uh, wrap up with that answer. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think one of the great places uh, to start is with Jesus's two great commands. So he calls us to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as herself. And can you imagine just waking up every morning and saying, Lord, help me today mm. to love you well and to love my neighbors well. Amen. I mean, just that alone would set us in a sort of a pretty good direction. <laughs> mm. so, um, so starting there, I think, is always a, a good thing. I, I think, you know, beyond that, we need to recognize, well, how do I love God well? And how do I love people well? And I think that should draw us into his word so that we just don't just make that up on our own. But we see from his word, you know, how we might love him better and how we might love others better. And, of course, we're probably going to need some encouragement along the way as well. So um, we shouldn't be trying to uh, do it on our own, but to sort of surround ourselves with other people who are also wanting to love God and love others well and want to look at his word to see how to do that better. So I, I think those are sort of really good starting points for anybody who's, who's seeking sort of anew to, to walk with Christ. Excellent. John Hopper, I want to just encourage people to check out this book. It's called Questioning God. There's a lot more that we didn't get into in, in different parts in the book. Um, don't Christians use their faith as an emotional crutch? Why should I trust what the Bible has to say? Uh, of course, the question of evil comes up. Um, where do I start with a new faith? Will God... Anyway, there's so many other questions, but John, um, where can people, other than Amazon and the best place is it um, uh, got, uh, questioninggod.com? Is, are you on social media as well? Share with us about that if someone has to. You know, I'm not a big social media guy, but so questioninggod.com is the best place to go. Okay, great. Yeah. Questioninggod.com, you get more information. And your information and link to the podcast, is it there as well? Yes, it is. Great, great. John Hopper, thank you for your time today, and thank you for writing this important book. Well, it's great to be with you today, David. All right. God bless you, brother. Uh, John Hopper, Questioning God. I love the cover, too. Um, so we're going to just tease what we're going to talk about coming up in a minute. Um, we are going through a lot of questions about how we can direct people to good churches because we get that email or that phone call all the time. Where can I find a good biblical church? So we're going to start with just some things you can look for, and I've even got a pastor coming in studio Monday to answer that question. So we're talking about things to look for. I'm going to go through the list when we come back. Obviously, it starts with sound doctrine and the biblical worldview, believing in the inerrancy of Scripture, but uh, a lot more to it when you're talking about looking for a good church. Plus, more news in Canada. They're clamping down not only on their own citizens, but of course on Christians and pastors and a few news stories when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. So I didn't watch the State of the Union um, the other night, and I just want to comment on it in a minute. Just a couple things that um, the, the man in the White House said. And before I do that, there is a good news story I want to just share. <laughs> but the question is, why, why is this a story at all? And the headline is, University agrees to let campus Christian group pick leaders on the basis of faith. Um, Alliance Defending Freedom was involved in this case. And so you're going, yay, victory, victory. Back up now. Why was this even a problem in the first place? Because of our Marxist 
atheist, socialist university systems that are progressive and are, are hostile toward the Christian faith. So what's happening across the country in public universities, they are discriminating against Christians and, and Christian groups. So this group uh, was uh, contacted at the Alliance Defending Freedom, and uh, they, I guess they filed a case on this, and they said, you know what, we should be able to decide who leads our group. It was a student organization, and it was Ratio Christi. We've had uh, many people with Ratio Christi on this podcast, and this was the University of Houston. <laughs> I just had John Hopper on. Um, anyway, they agreed to permit the group to operate according to its religious convictions. Can you believe this? So we, remember, even the certain headlines you see, pro-life um, legislation, hey, that's great, this was— this was they redecided because now they're going to allow pro-life. Why was there a problem in the first place? This is a worldview issue. It's an issue of free speech. And when you're talking about public schools or, or campuses, if you're going to allow one religious group, you better allow everybody. And by the way, the LGBTQ is a religion. If you don't believe that, um, we can talk another time. And it's the religion of sex, which which brings us to um, a, a, oh, where do I go now I just want to, I want to share this ACLU letter um because John Haller a pastor we had on um, a couple days ago he sent me this letter it's actually it's an, a fundraising letter from the ACLU um, but I want to hold off on that because I want to mention the recommended church checklist because we teased that a few minutes ago. So what to look for in a good biblical church? I mean, the list could be very, very extensive, but let's just go through some of the essentials, like Jesus is God in the flesh, the virgin birth, he lived a sinless life, he suffered, died, was buried, was resurrected, he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. So we're talking about sound, sound doctrine. We're talking about the importance of pastors equipping the saints, discipleship, building families, educating children on the biblical worldview and not relying on seven hours a day in, a, in a, the public government-run school system to educate your kids. How about unity of believers, of the common worldview? That's hard today because of uh, false teachings in the church and different things people are bringing in, saying we ought to unify around. No, don't unify. They, they mean con- uniformity. They don't mean unity. Also, preaching the whole counsel of God, not just topical preaching on a different on a series every month or whatever. Come on, guys. The, your church leaders or pastors hopefully are teaching um, expository, verse by verse through the Bible. They're not ashamed of the gospel. They're not afraid to address any controversial issue. They teach Bible prophecy. They connect the dots to world events. They address and expose darkness. Biblical truth relating to such things as abortion, culture, government, education, social, political issues, which, as you know, are moral issues. Now, these are things to look for in a church. What about a prayer focus? Are there prayer meetings? What's their emphasis on prayer? One of the most important things to the early church. Prayer, communion, the Lord's Supper, supper, um, the teaching of the Word of God, and fellowship of believers, Acts 2.42. Are there home Bible studies? Uh, Is there a gospel focus, not a church growth focus or building programs? Are are they trying, is your church trying to draw people in and keep them there and entertain them rather than to go out and be salt and light in our culture? What about Trinitarianism? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the three-in-one. How about the proper order of leadership? Elders, pastors, deacons, men in leadership. The importance of women mentoring, teaching women's Bible studies, things like that. The proper balance. How about the application of religious freedom? We, this has been a battle in the church in the last couple of years. Um, Romans 13, and interpreting that correctly. Should we obey government at all costs? Or are there stipulations? How about confronting evil? Cults. False teachings. Demonic agendas. What about worship in spirit and in truth on a Sunday morning at church? Not entertaining. Um, so these are just, so, this is a good start for what to look for in a church. Again, Pastor Kevin Minsky 
from a De Pere church called Christ the Rock, De Pere, Wisconsin. That's, he's going to be in studio on Monday to talk about the go through this list, and he's got a lot more to add. Um, and I would say if you're a, a, a listener to this podcast and you appreciate the pastors and the guests we have on and the topics we tackle, one of the points you might want to ask your pastor, do they agree with or support Stand Up For The Truth podcast? Because I would guess that 80% of them do not. That's just the honest truth, friends. And let, let me give you an example on something something that I received in a uh, comment in an email. This is from a person who uh, goes by Equality for All. <laughs> and I was writing about the LGBTQ. I was writing about homosexuality at the time and how it's been normalized since the 1960s and 70s and even more so um, through the decades. And I won't share with you all the points because that's tedious. And you can, I believe in what, what book, I think it was my first book. I had a chapter called The Normalization of Homosexuality uh, in the book called Eradicate. But here was his response uh, to this article. You're a bigoted idiot. You're using your religion as an excuse to hate people who aren't like you. The first immigrants came to America to escape religious law. It's just a grain of truth to that, but no. Um, This isn't a Christian nation. Never has been, never will be. Teenagers all over this country are being bullied for being who they are. Some are committing suicide, and it's because of monsters like you. How do you sleep at night? Well, I'm just sharing with you some of the questions or comments or emails that I get. And I want to just go to John 15, verse 18 and 19, which says, Jesus said this, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. John 15, 18 and 19. So now Joe Biden. He emphasized his support for transgenderism and that radical ideology, children, and his support for biological males competing in women's sports. That's what he said, and he's, he's gone on record in the past. How do you feel, Christian? How do you feel, parent of kids in the public schools, that the president of this country is supporting biological males competing against your daughter's? And taking their scholarships, winning races, breaking records in track and field and swimming and other sports. How do you feel about that? Well, most Christians don't want to address this issue. And that's why I'm called, what did he say? Monster, hateful, bigoted. So speaking to the transgender community in his speech to the nation, this was televised worldwide the other night. Biden said he'd always, to the transgender community, he said, I'll always have your back. Do you know that... Neither has President Obama in the Obama-Biden years or President Biden now has never said anything remotely close to Christians. In other words, Christians, I believe religious freedom is important to you and I'll always have your back. Never has been uttered by this man in the Oval Office. Now, he also told those who identifies the opposite sex to just be yourself and use your God-given potential. Did you, did you hear that? Be yourself. Choose who you want to be, what you want to be as far as gender, and use your God-given... Does anyone else see a contradiction here? This is the moral relativism that's being promoted, and it's confusing a lot of young people, a lot of children. And as that letter to me saying I was the cause of kids committing suicide or attempting suicide, things like this confu- this sexual, this confusion about who we are, that's causing kids to say, well, if all I am is an accident, a random accident in nature, and there is no God, and I wasn't created in an image of, of a divine creator, then if this is just by chance, by random, I, I can be whatever I want. Kids are really confused about that. So anyway, I'll, I'll leave that right there. I'll go on to some other news here. This is about Canada. I don't know that I'll get to that ACLU letter. Um, you know, I've got to. John Haller sent me this. This is from the 
I call it the Anti-Christian Lawyers Union. Today, the ACLU and the ACLU of Texas and Lambda Legal filed a motion for a temporary restraining order to prevent the state of Texas from investigating families and how they're framing it is for supporting their trans kids and requiring any professionals who work with youth to report these families. Here's the most immediate facts to know. Last week, Attorney General Ken Paxton released an opinion declaring gender-affirming medical care. Now, we're talking about hormones. We're talking about steroids. We're talking about drugs. We're talking about physical mutilation, cosmetic surgeries. Gender-affirming medical care and procedures for transgender children to be child abuse. So that's what the Attorney General of Texas said, which most of us would agree. In response, the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, directed the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services to investigate families that do this to their kids or are pointing their kids in this direction. The way the ACLU worded it in this letter, it says to investigate families that support their trans kids. Of course, every parent is going to support their children. So this is really using this in a devious way, this, this idea of support. It says these actions can be devastating, dehumanizing, and terrifying to the families being targeted. And it says somehow um, that hasn't stopped investigations. According to our clients, at least one family had a child welfare investigator show up on their doorstep last week, and reports are coming in from across the state that inv- investigations are ramping up. And then it goes on. So this is gender affirming. When you're leading your kids into this delusion at younger and younger ages, some parents do it to satisfy their own whatever twisted need they have to have their parents live in, in this sort of lifestyle or belief or ideology, and it's absolutely wrong. Some would consider it child abuse. So they're saying parents should just be able to be free to do whatever they want to do with their kids. Well, where do you draw the line, friends? And that's the question I'll leave you with. This was a letter sent out by the ACLU. They're um, asking the courts to immediately block Texas from investigating families for uh, raising transgender kids they love and support. So... I'll leave that there. Now, the article from Canada. Um, Canada's back in the news. You know, Russia has been. China has been. And here we go. Um, Days before police would descend on the Ottawa Freedom Convoy uh, protesters, they were using tear gas, batons, mounted officers. They trampled some citizens to disperse peaceful crowds. A group of Canadian faith leaders called on Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to restore the country's constitutional freedoms to the people. In an open letter signed by over two dozen reverends, Liberty Coalition Canada accused Trudeau of overstepping his role as a representative of the Canadian people and to uphold the nation's charter of rights and freedoms, which it said recognizes the supremacy of God over all human legislation. So that's what this group is doing or trying to do now. My new article this week, it's called, Oh, Canada, Proposed Law Would Penalize Intent to Use Hate Speech. So since that mentioned recognizing the supremacy of God, this the conservative or liberty coalition in Canada is demanding, I want to just skip to um, this article where I mentioned the anthem, Oh, Canada. Um A few changes may be in order to that anthem now, by the way. Why? Because Canadian leadership and the power global elites there, they've abandoned God, reason, truth, and freedom for its citizens. But oddly enough, the song, Oh Canada, refers to God as, quote, ruler supreme. Do you think the Canadian government buys that or believes that? And O Canada includes such phrases as, quote, true north, strong and free. Well, not anymore under Justin Trudeau. So let's go to the beginning of this article and why write about this at this time with all that's going on in the world. Well, Canada is a land where people felt the heavy hand of government depriving them of free movement for nearly two years. Crackdowns that many describe as draconian and Justin Trudeau and the Canadian Parliament's actions 
of late have shocked many of its own citizens. But here's a new law, friends, pay attention, being proposed. It's one of the most broad and radical to date. And for Canada, that's saying something. This legislation is known as Bill C-36. And Americans, keep a close eye on this. Here's how it would work. It's hate crimes legislation. Canadians are encouraged to report their fellow citizens to the authorities, and people could then be taken to court and penalized before they even post something online, assuming their motives to be hateful. Friends, you heard that correctly. You can get in trouble for something that you are suspected of intending to post. Now, of course, this is what government defines as hate speech. If you're suspected of this, posting this online, um, you might be in trouble. So you might ask, wait a minute, wait a minute, David, come on. Seriously, someone could be punished for something they haven't done yet? Yeah. Uh, One Canadian citizen, VP of Communications of Substack, uh, called attention to what she referred to as alarming aspects of this new law, uh, fuzzy and circular definition of hateful speech, encouraging citizens to report on one another, creepy, the ability to punish people for something they haven't actually done yet. Friends, when, where have we seen this? Is this thought crimes now? Really? So if you think this is nuts, most of us would agree. If you think this could not happen in America, most of us would disagree. The Bible refers to the heart of mankind as sick or wicked, and what we see today is par for the course of moral relativism. Romans 1, delusion of the modern, post-Christian, depraved mind. So part of Trudeau's modus operandi in Canada seems to be control the opposition. Now, many of you know my wife is from Toronto. Her family and relatives still live in Canada. I called my brother-in-law the other day to ask him about this law in Canada that that they're pushing through. And the first thing he said was if everyone was arrested or punished for thinking thoughts that others declare to be hateful, we'd all be in jail. (laughs) He also mentioned reading a book about Nazi Germany where citizens were told to spy on their neighbors and turn them over to authorities. We all know how that ended. My question is, why is it we have such a hard time learning from history and remembering past history? So that was in the 1930s. So in the year 2022, according to this legislation now, this crime is defined as a discriminatory practice to communicate or cause to be communicated hate speech by means of the Internet or other means of telecommunication, and then it goes on and on. Now, if a Canadian citizen, now this is the quote, fears on reasonable grounds that another person will commit hate speech online, an offense motivated by bias, prejudice, or hate based on race, sex, religion, gender identity or expression, or anything similar so they basically they included everything and, and, and on. It's kind of like the LGBTQ plus, 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 plus. They can turn in their neighbor and give the information to a Canadian court. Let's be specific here when I wrap this up right now. If you believe the Bible is true, that it's God's holy word and it's perfect, and you desire to live by its principles in word and deed, you would be turned into authorities immediately and without question. This, friends, is where we're headed. No longer post-Christian nations as far as North America, Canada and America. We're now in anti-Christian territory, friends. But remember what Jesus said? If the world hated you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Tomorrow, I can't wait to get to Israel expert and historian Jim Fletcher. How is everything that's happening with Russia, Ukraine, China affecting Israel? We'll talk to Jim tomorrow. Guys, thank you for sharing the podcast. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.